Welcome to the universe of trusting divinity, hosted by yours truly, Wendy Von Dam, aka Ms. Divinity. Here at Trusting Divinity, we explore how to do life in the messy middle. May you put down perfection and be clothed in the grace of Christ as you open your heart and mind to a life of possibility, one that you love beyond your wildest dreams. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hey there, beautiful soul. Welcome back to Trusting Divinity, a sacred and holy space of love and acceptance for whatever your current messy middle is, a place of soul rejuvenation, of basking and resting in Jesus, a place of learning and growing together in grace. My friend, today I have invited a special guest to share and discuss his expansive, yet all at the same time, profoundly simple view on grace. Adam Miller is the author of Original Grace. He will be joining me for the next three episodes as we tie a bow on this magical mantra of accepting grace. Adam is a professor of philosophy at Collin College in McKinney, Texas. He earned a BA in comparative literature from BYU and an MA and PhD in philosophy from Villanova University. He is the author of more than 10 books, including Letters to a Young Mormon, An Early Resurrection, and Original Grace. He and his wife, Gwen, have three children. Without further ado, here is part one of our conversation on Original Grace. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to dive into a conversation on this topic of grace. I still, I can't tell you exactly which day it was on the calendar, but I will never forget when you're, when the email came from Deseret Book and the original grace book popped up. And I think it was maybe the same day I was at the store buying it because I just knew that my heart needed to know what you had to say about grace. So I'm excited to talk about the book today. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm I'm glad you found the book helpful. Absolutely. I I devoured it. I've heard of lots of people that have not been able to devour it. <laughs> but I couldn't put it down. <laughs> uh, and I've read it multiple times. So um if you were gonna just sum up the book in a paragraph or two, what would be your response? Just a sweet, short, condensed. What is your book all about? Yeah, there's a couple of ways we might try to summarize the what the book is trying to say. Uh, one way to say it would be that grace is not God's backup plan. Right? It's not plan B. It's not what you do when people fail to save themselves, but that grace was the plan all along. Right, uh, a divine partnership with God from beginning to end was the plan all along. Right, it's not just the it's not just the path to salvation; it's the very substance of salvation to enjoy that kind of partnership with God. Another way to say it, 
uh, might be that grace is original, not sin, right? Grace comes first, then sin as a, as a rejection on our part of God's grace. Or another way to say it might be that uh, love or grace is a commandment, not a reward, right? And when we end up treating love as a kind of reward uh, or grace as a kind of reward, then we fail to fulfill the law which commands us to love always and everywhere and everyone. Yeah. Ooh, I love all three of those. Very mm. beautifully put. Um, so as I read throughout the book, I see you mentioning a lot about your relationship with your father. You also talk a lot about the book, um, Believing Christ. And it seems like those two things were major guideposts in your journey to understanding grace. Were there other things? I mean, it's probably a lifetime <laughs> discovery, right? How do you name them all? Um, but but what other things played into the crafting of this book? Like I say, it's probably a lifetime of work. But is there anything else in your mind that stands out as significant? Yeah, this book is for me, in my own mind at least, very clearly a distillation of about... 20 years of, of pretty hard, careful work, if you can call what philosophers do for a living hard and careful work. Uh, on the one hand, uh, it's the kind of it's the kind of product of my, I think, relatively serious efforts to to try to understand and live the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Just as a member of of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, to try to put into practice what's actually at, at stake. Uh, in living a new life in Christ. Uh, on the other hand, the book is also very much the product of my trying to sort out as a scholar uh, of religion and philosophy what's at stake and how we talk about grace. Right. So in some ways, this is the this is the fourth or fifth book I've written about grace, depending on how we count. Uh, my doctoral dissertation was about grace. My first professional scholarly book was about grace. My third professional scholarly book was about grace. Those are books that no Mormon should ever worry about uh, looking at or reading. Uh, but for me, those that that kind of uh, you know scholarly philosophical work uh, laid a lot of the pipe. I found I would need to to try to rethink uh, parts of what for me it meant to to start a new life in Christ, uh, in his grace. Yeah. We're going to talk about some of that today. I know you said that if we all could just figure out the answer to how do we take this ethereal, non-physical idea of putting Jesus Christ on, like literally I say that we clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. And I've been saying that a lot lately. And I had a friend the other day that was like, what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean? when you say that um but how do we take this ethereal idea i know he's real right but but he he's not physically with us every day and so how do we how do we actually take him and put him on i'm excited to dive in so um i have talked to quite a few people who have who have some people devoured your book others have read a few chapters and been like i don't know if i understand like and had to put it down for a time um so I know that in the first chapter, one of my questions, because oftentimes as I read through it too, I would, I would think, okay, do I actually understand 
what he's trying to say here. <laughs> right? Like I, I need to put on my scholarly brain and see if I can understand. So from chapter one, you're talking about suffering and maybe the purposes of suffering. Like that's kind of the theme of chapter one. I'm curious in there, you mention the natural and material order of things versus the moral order of things. And I've read it lots of times and I'm still not hundred percent sure that I understand exactly what you're trying to say there. So I'd love to know how those two things apply to the discussion of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, it's a very philosophical question. Uh, I suspect you don't want an especially philosophical answer. Uh, so I'll Dumb see, it down for I'll me. See what I can, I'll see what I can do. Uh, part of the frame for the book is to contrast a traditional Christian belief in original sin with what I think is a, a much more restoration-worthy belief in something like original grace. Right, we as Latter Day Saints don't believe in in the doctrine of original sin. That that part is clear, uh, but in its stead, I think we have space to articulate the idea that grace is original. Right, that grace is what comes first. That grace, as I said earlier, is is Plan A, not Plan B, uh, and that obedience to God and and living in covenant with God is is a way of living into that grace that He's already ready and willing to to offer to us. The doctrine of original sin uh, is traditionally rooted in the idea that if we suffer, it's because we deserve it, right? Uh, and that idea that suffering is always deserved in one way or another, uh, it's always in some in some ways, uh, it's in one way or another, it's, it's the result of someone's fault, right? Somebody had done something wrong. That idea is rooted in also the traditional Christian idea that God created the world out of nothing, right? And because God created everything, he must have created everything perfectly uh, without any kind of suffering is the assumption. Uh, and that if God created everything perfectly without any suffering, then if there is any suffering, it must be because somebody did something wrong, right? And thus the suffering is deserved. But it's not only the case that we as Latter-day Saints don't believe that in the doctrine of original sin. It's also the case that as Latter-day Saints, we don't believe that God created the world out of nothing. At least Joseph Smith clearly taught, right, that, that the world in some sense, reality has in some sense always existed, that you and I are in some sense co-eternal with God. And that while God creates by organizing uh, the world, uh, he doesn't create it out of nothing. Right. So there's room, I think, in a Latter-day Saint way of thinking about the world for suffering to just be part of the fabric of reality. Right. The fabric is just part of the, the material order. Right. It's just part of the natural world as you and I know it. And the gospel then is a way of uh, is a way of helping us to deal with that. Right. It's a way of greeting the difficulties inherent in reality with grace in the same way that God does. And so we're free, I think, to see reality as an occasion for grace rather than seeing uh, our suffering uh, as an indication that we're bad or wrong uh, or deserve to experience whatever pain we experience. That's so beautiful. Um, what if it's just part of, part of the existence, right? Part of the experience and 
and stop putting so many labels on it and just I love I can't remember exactly how she said it but this woman talked about that when we're in our suffering it's not about why why is this happening to me but who is this teaching me God is because he comes in with his grace right and teaches us so much about who he is and what he's capable of and how he wants to help us in the midst of our natural experiences yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, and the way I often talk about this in the book is in terms of the difference between uh, trying to figure out what we do or don't deserve versus trying to figure out what is or isn't needed. Right. Grace never asks what people do or don't deserve. Right. It doesn't ask that question. Why? With the assumption that people would or wouldn't deserve whatever they suffer. Uh, grace is only ever concerned with with the love that needs to be given now right, in light of how things are and in light of what's needed to make them better. Uh, love here is, is, again, as a commandment, not a reward. Yeah, I love that. It's that whole stop trying to earn your way to heaven, right? <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> Let's very come together to, and learn. That very attempt to earn our way into heaven is is the essence of what it means to be a sinner, right? To think that I'm supposed to do it on my own and thus refuse my partnership with God and thus turn down his offer of grace and then wonder why, as a sinner, I find myself so broken and graceless. Right? Why I'm suffering yeah. so much. <laughs> why? What's the problem? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I think one of the other things, um, I can't remember exactly how you put it, but but you really just invited people in this book into an experiment in restoration thinking, right? And you didn't say, I'm right or I'm wrong. Let's just start a conversation. Let's just start maybe tweaking things, looking at things differently. And take what you like, leave what you don't, and just allow this to improve your view on grace in whatever way that it can. Yeah, it's clear, I think, especially since the mid-80s when President Benson really urged all of us to go back and read the Book of Mormon, it started to become clear to us as Latter-day Saints that, that we believe in grace, right? The Book of Mormon is emphatic about the centrality of God's grace to our salvation, but it hasn't always been easy for us to find ways to talk about grace that aren't just borrowed from Protestantism, especially. And the problem with just borrowing Protestant ways of talking about grace, of course, is that that way of talking about grace is rooted in the doctrine of original sin with those assumptions about how suffering can be deserved uh, and, in fact, may always be deserved in one way or another. And so I think for us really as Latter-day Saints to to own what the Book of Mormon itself teaches about grace, we have to we have to work our way into a native Latter-day Saint way of talking about grace, right? A, a restoration, a kind of restoration grammar for how we talk about grace. And I just I've thought about my own book as just a kind of uh, experimental addition to what I hope is is uh, you know our collective ongoing conversation about how best to talk about Jesus Christ and and His offer of grace. Yeah. Awesome. So in uh, chapter two of the book, the topic or the theme is grace. And you bring us and chapter three and four and oh, five oh wait, and the whole six. book. <laughs> <laughs> but chapter two is specifically titled grace, right? <laughs> but yes, the whole book. Um, in this chapter, you bring up the book, Believing Christ, and probably maybe another chapter. I'm sure in other chapters too. Had you, um, had you read this book? Were you familiar with this book? 
I don't know if I've read the whole book. I know that mm. I've read an article on the book. And I think that it's interesting that you say as Latter-day Saints, we don't believe in the doctrine of original sin. And I agree with you that our doctrine is probably mm. firm in that truth, right? Yeah. But I think that as I know for myself, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I know for myself, maybe there's been a lot of original sin belief in my life because that Protestantism or, or whatever, right, has filtrated in. And there are traditions of the fathers still in our beliefs, even though they're not necessarily the doctrines. And so it was really eye-opening for me to like really have this whole thing turned upside down. Like, and actually I want to say it turned right side up. I, I think Sister Nelson says all the time, the prophet, I used to say, you turned my life upside down. And he'd say, no, I turned it right side up. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I, I, I had had similar experiences, just like you as a missionary, right? A mission was all about exact obedience. Um, if you just had more faith, that's what they told me in Greece. If you just had more faith, the people here would get baptized. <laughs> right. And I would get really mad. <laughs> And I would say, well, what about the faith to get out of bed every morning, knowing that no one here wants to hear anything that I have to say, but I'm here doing it anyways, because I believe it's what the Savior wants me to be doing in my life right now. Yeah. Um. So, so in here you're saying, or he says, right, in his book, that the problem isn't that God is unwilling to offer the grace I need. The problem is that I am unwilling to receive the grace that God is giving and and then we get into these demands of of religion and the to-do list that's i don't know 3000 pages long of all the things that i could do to try to earn my way um i and, and i think it's so interesting because it's not that we don't want to do those things mm -hmm. right like i love going to the temple it's an important part of my life it's something that brings me great joy and it can also become a taskmaster that sucks the joy out of my life if I use it as this standard to measure my worthiness or to measure, maybe not even worthiness, but to measure my value or to measure my worth. I'm not valuable or worth anything if I'm not doing the to-do list that's forever long. Um, so it's interesting, right? He argues that our logic is backwards and you take it even further than he did that. Yes, our logic has been backwards. And um, my question is, is that sometimes as the world gets turned right side up, it can feel like it's getting turned upside down and you sometimes don't know what to do with it all because it, it almost makes what you have lived feel backwards or even wrong. Um, and, and I remember in my own journey, um, like looking at my husband who was the bishop and saying, I don't know, like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can stay in this religion. Uh, I don't even think it's the religion, but I think it's the culture of the religion that's been created. That is this perfectionistic, I don't know, yuckiness. <laughs> and um, I'm so grateful that I've made the choice to stay 
but I remember just feeling like my whole world was upside down. I remember having conversations with people and them telling me that they thought I had been deceived, that I was doing it all wrong. And yet I was like having the most incredible experience that I'd ever had with God before. And I just, it felt like my world was falling apart and it felt, I didn't know what was truth. So do you have any words of wisdom for poor people like me? <laughs> Who maybe as they step further into grace, it as you look backwards, right? It kind of makes your light, you kind of start to question, like, wow, like, what have I been doing for the last however long? Um, how do you let go of original sin and adopt original grace without it wreaking a lot of havoc? I guess is my question. <laughs> Well, in some ways, the a better a better version of that question might just be how do I how do I stop being a sinner and how do I go about being saved? Uh, because I think that's that's what's at stake really at the end of the day. It is, of course, one thing to to practice a religion and even practice it seriously for a long time, and it can be surprisingly a whole other thing to discover God, right inside or outside your experience of that religion i mean for me i'm a latter-day saint because i discovered god in the tradition right this is where he showed himself and is showing himself to me so here here i am whatever questions whatever other questions i have left unanswered this is where it's happening right this is where the promises that he's made are being are being fulfilled the flip side of course of thinking that suffering can be deserved the flip side of that, the inevitable flip side, is thinking that love has to be deserved, right? If I think that my suffering can be deserved, then I think that the point of my religion is to prove to God that I don't deserve to suffer and that I, instead I deserve to be loved. But again, whenever we think about love that way, whenever we think about love as a kind of reward that we earn in exchange for our obedience or faithfulness or or whatever then we've already evacuated the fundamental demand of the law which is that love is a commandment love love is not a reward that you do or don't earn under special circumstances the commandment to love is not conditional depending on whether or not people have measured up to your expectations for them the commandment to love is just that a commandment imperative without exceptions unconditional you must love not only your friends jesus says you must love your enemies and jesus uh, when jesus explains this in the sermon on the mount he's clear that god works the same way god sends his reign on the just and the unjust right he causes his son to rise on the good and the evil god is everywhere and always only doing what is good god's never in the business of doing evil even in response to the evil that we do uh but when we recognize then, I think, right, this, this I think, is then at the heart of conversion, right, to, to undergo the kind of transformation that's at stake in being a Christian is to undergo a change in our perspective on the nature of love in which we stop treating it as a reward that we have to either earn uh, or give, dole out selectively, and we begin to treat it as a commandment the way that God does. And when we begin then to unconditionally love as we're commanded, then we also become conduits for God's love, right? When we when we stop passively 
relating to love as a thing to be earned and instead as a thing to give, then uh, we step into an entirely different way of living and we step into an entirely different kind of relationship with God. And that relationship, I think the whole New Testament is trying to describe is, is the essence of a, of a Christian life. So um, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about like, and this is why we need to put on Jesus so much because my capacity to love at that level <laughs> oftentimes feels undercharged or um, like as my child is screaming at me, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, in this moment, she feels like my enemy, uh-huh. but the commandment to me is to love, right? No matter how she's acting, no matter what she's doing, no matter if it's my fault or not my fault, mm-hmm. according to her, my invitation is to love her no matter how she shows up. And it's so interesting because I think that this is one of the ways that I try in my daily life to put on the savior and to seek him to help me to have the ability to hold the love for her. Right. Like in my natural state, it's really hard. Like I just want to snap back at her or tell her all the reasons why it's not my fault or (laughs) whatever it is. Right. Um, Or I want to help her see things differently I still remember the day she taught me so much about, I think so often we're trying to fix things. Um, And she wanted her, she calls it her snuggle Bobby. It's her little blanket. And she Mm -hmm. really wanted it. She was really upset and I didn't have it. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't have it. Like, can I, will you just come sit with me and I will be your snuggle Bobby. And she said, no, you can't (laughs) because (laughs) she was so cute because you don't have, there she said, snuggle bobbies don't have eyes and they don't have ears and they don't have a mouth and they don't talk, mom. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that is something that the savior is so good at is just holding space for us wherever we are, whether we're in the depths of despair or in the thrills of joy or whatever our emotional state is. He is so good at just being with us and I just throughout this conversation, I would love to try to intertwine. How do we actually put him on? How like that's what you're talking about is having this relationship in him and becoming a part of him. And so what does that look like in our everyday life? And I've gone rogue and I'm not following the questions in order. So who knows what'll happen with our discussion? But <laughs> um what do you do in your life to to intertwine that relationship into your daily actions. All right, my friend, that is where we will conclude today. I want to encourage you to take some time to digest and chew on what we have discussed so far. Isn't this conversation delicious? I am breaking it down into smaller bite-sized pieces intentionally. My hope is that you will have time and space to really ponder and consider the profound yet simple message of grace. Join me in the next episode to hear from Adam what he specifically does to intertwine his relationship with Jesus Christ into his daily actions. All my love, Ms. Divinity.
I have a quick ask before you go. Will you please help me share, share, share the grand adventures of trusting divinity? If you have had a friend, a family member, or a neighbor come to mind as you have listened to today's episode, please pass it along. Maybe, just maybe, they too could benefit as we seek to turn the world right side up and accept the original grace of God, the gift of Jesus Christ. And even more, I would love to connect with and hear from you. What stood out to you in today's episode? What was your biggest aha and takeaway? You can send an email to Wendy with a Y at trustingdivinity.com or find me in the world of social media, the handle Trusting Divinity, and share with me your insights. Which piece of today's episode touched your heart in a profound way? I would be honored to hold space for your dreams and hear about how you will personalize and put into practice the principle of grace. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join me in our next episode for a continued discussion on grace with this special guest, Adam Miller. It may just turn your world right side up. And last but not least, more details will be coming soon on how to join the Trusting Divinity community that will be kicking off February 2023. If you have been wondering what gift you would like to receive this Christmas season, I would like to propose that this may be the perfect fit. The invitation, 12 months of accepting grace. 12 months of line upon line, grace upon grace, moving the knowledge of the intentions within the mantra from your head down into your heart. 12 months of taking time to simply be the majestic creation God intended you to be. 12 months of connection and community with incredible like-minded souls. 12 months of feeling the feels, meeting yourself where you are in the messy middle with love and acceptance. 12 months of joy, peace, and trust. Hey there. Thanks for listening. If you have already accepted my invitation and are claiming me as your friend, I want to thank you in advance for posting a raving review on your favorite podcast platform. If by chance you are still a little unsure about this blossoming friendship, I invite you to simply stick around and keep listening.